Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. If you have not already, guys, there's still plenty of time for bowl season kicks off. Head to MyBookie.ag right now. You can always come back to this podcast in a second. Use the promo code UGA when you sign up as a new user. And whatever you deposit, guys, they're going to match it up to $200 in cash. No strings attached. It's cash. It's put straight into your account. And as soon as you bet that initial deposit, you can withdraw that cash to use on whatever it is that you want to use it on. So make sure to do it today. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. I am your host, Tyler. And back with me for the first time this week is my co-host Charlie, the star of the podcast. Charlie, I feel like, I know it's only been a week since you've been on here, ready to push it back as of the Stetson announcement, but it feels like it's been longer. There's a lot of things that happened, Charlie, since the last time you are on this podcast. The dogs are once again SEC champions. Good dog. Stetson Bennett is going to New York. Did you ever see that coming in your wildest dreams? Uh, I mean. If I would have told you that back in, let's say, July, hey, Stetson Bennett's going to be in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony this year, what would you have said to me? Long shot. Very big long shot, right? I, even I, I mean, a guy who was defending Stetson all offseason, I would not have said that. And I did not say that. So that happened, and the transfer portal has gone crazy. Haven't been too many dogs. I think still to this point, Bill Norton's the only one of our players to enter the transfer portal. But there's been chaos all week long. Coaching changes all over the place, Charlie. So a lot has transpired. And that means we got some questions that we've got to get to. We pushed this back a couple of days because... Obviously, with Stetson getting the invite to, to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony as a Heisman finalist, I felt like I had to get on there and at least discuss that, cover that a little bit. So, Charlie, I appreciate you being flexible enough to move this episode back a little bit, but there's a lot of stuff that people have been waiting very patiently for us to discuss, and uh, I don't want to waste any more time. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. All right. Well, our first question comes from Trenton. He wants you to rank Kirby Smart in terms of Georgia football head coaches. Do you think he is right there with Dooley, or what does he need to do in order to surpass a legend like Vince Dooley? Okay, is it fair? I know you're a Mark Rick gal, and I was a Mark Rick guy for a long time, and I still to this day love Mark Rick. And by the way, did you see, Charlie, that Coach Rick is going to be undergoing uh, another treatment for Parkinson's disease over the holidays? I saw that he started taking a new medicine for the first time, but I did not see that. I don't know what... Maybe the treatment means medicine. I don't know. But he tweeted out that he's going to be, you know, 
doing some treatment stuff for his Parkinson's and I'm just going to put it out there. I wish him the absolute best. I love Mark Rick. It's hard to imagine there's a better guy out there like in terms of just a human being. So God bless Coach Rick. Hope everything's going well with that. But is it fair to say as much as we love Coach Rick, Kirby Smart's the best coach in our lifetime? Yes, I, I would agree. I mean, I don't know. Like, Coach Rick did some great things for us, got our program back on solid ground. Although I, was, I will say Jim Donnan did actually, I think, an underrated job. I know rivals, that was his issue. Could, you know, Tech, Tennessee, those Florida too, obviously as well. We just couldn't be Florida in the, in the 90s at all. But I think Donnan did an underrated job for us. Coach Rick obviously came in, won a couple of SEC titles, took us to another level, took us to the number one ranking entering the season in 2008. But... Kirby has just blown the roof off this program, which is what we were all... We all knew this could happen. We were just waiting for the guy to do it, and Kirby's done that. So I think it's fair to say he is clearly the best coach of our lifetime, Charlie, and that's people who are like in their early to mid-30s. But I know a lot of you listening out there have been around longer than that, and you were around for the dual years, which I guess... I think he retired in 1988, so I was three, so I never actually watched a full Vince Dooley game. So there's that. I, I certainly would, would... I want to put this out there. When I mention this question... There could be some recency bias built into this. I'm very aware of that. And I also, again, was not of the Vince Dooley era. Well, just by doing a quick Google search, he was the head coach from 64 to 88. 25 years exactly, right? Right. Yeah. Um, he's 200, he was 201, 77, and 10 as his record. Won six SEC championships and the 1980 national championship. So... I'm not saying Kirby Smart is greater than Vince Dooley, but looking at the numbers, Kirby Smart, within the first few years, already has a national championship, has two SEC championships, and is in the playoffs for the third time time. in his short tenure. I think what Vince has on Kirby at this point is longevity. Can we say that? Right. And longevity, that matters. Like Being able to stay around a program for as long as Vince did. I don't want to say Vince really built this program. You know, Wally Butts, we had some good teams before Vince. But Vince, you know, in the 1980s, early 1980s, kind of put our program on a national map there. And then did we fall off for a little while? Sure, yes. But Vince Dooley has a big role in terms of where the Georgia brand is right now. Obviously, Kirby is taken into a different stratosphere. There's no doubt there. But Vince was the one that kind of started that process. And here's what I'll say about Vince Dooley, Charlie. I'm glad you pulled those numbers up. I did not have those right in front of me. But just what I know of Vince Dooley, he was consistently good. Just going back and look at the records year after year after year over the course of his 25 years as our head coach, he was consistently a good coach, and our teams were consistently good. He was, I'm sure he was always a fantastic coach, but our teams, in terms of record, were consistently good, but not consistently elite. Now, of course, we had the, the four-year run in the early 80s that was truly elite, about as elite as you can get for a four-year run. He went 43-4-1, and 89% win percentage over that four-year run from 1980 to 1983, had three ACC titles, one national title, and two national title games. Like if, I guess if you want to call it a national title game back then, uh, it was more just like, hey, we're playing this bowl game, and um, we're saying this is one versus two, so we'll call it a national title game. But that four-year run was fantastic. I mean, that is elite stuff, elite, elite, elite. But you're, you're right, Charlie. If you look at Kirby, obviously year one was a transition year, had to establish our culture. We had some bumps in the road there. But since 2017, his second year on the job, we have gone 71 and 10. 
71 and 10 over the last five years as an 88% winning percentage, which is 1% under what Dooley was in that great early 80s four-year run. Kirby's won two SEC titles now. He's gone to two national title games and has that one national title last year, our first one in 41 years in this five-year run. And this five-year run also includes a COVID year. So, I mean, I don't, you can't completely throw it out the window, but like, come on, guys, that was... It, as unique of a year as there ever will be in the history of the sport. But again, I go back to longevity. Vince Dooley has that on Kirby. Kirby can't match that right now. And that matters. Being able to stick around a program and be that consistently good, even if it wasn't consistent levels of eliteness, still being that consistently good over that period of time, that is something to respect. And that is something to certainly appreciate. But it, I will say if Kirby keeps up this pace for another five years, I mean, and Charlie, is that... I, is that out of the realm of possibility? Uh, thinking about his character, his competitiveness, no. Kirby is about as hard-driving coach as there is. I, I, I fully expect it, guys. I mean, we're not going to stop recruiting. That's what we do. And obviously, we have a great recruiting staff. We have a great staff. We have a great coaching staff. We have a great developmental program, all those things. None of that's going to change while Kirby Paul Smart is our head coach. It's just not going to change. Even if we have some guys leave the program uh, and go to different stops as coaches, he's going to bring in more great guys. That's what he's done his entire career here in Athens. We're going to keep recruiting at an extraordinarily elite level. We have gone over, and I know a lot of you might not pay close attention to the like the actual numbers on the recruiting rankings, but if you use, use the 247 composite, we have gone over 300 points in recruiting. And again, I know mo- most of you probably don't understand what that means uh, if you don't follow it super closely, but I'll try to give you a frame of reference here. We've gone over 300 points in recruiting in six of Kirby's seven years. The only year we did not was a COVID year where obviously there are major recruiting restrictions and we only signed 20 players in that cycle. And for a reference point, prior to Kirby Smart's arrival, never in the history of, the, of our program, at least when 247's been around to, to rank these kind of things, had we gone over 300 points in recruiting. This is what Kirby Smart does, right? This is why we put all those players, 15 players in the NFL draft last year. That's not going to change. So I fully expect the next five years to perhaps even surpass this past five-year run. So if he keeps up with this pace, I do believe it will remove all doubt. I mean, it won't be 25 years. It'll be over over a decade at that point. And you've got a decade of just flat-out dominance. I think Kirby has a shot. I've been open with this on the podcast. I think he has a shot to be the next Nick Saban. And, I, you know, I don't want to... I know everyone wants to compare us to Alabama because they're the standard. I get that. Kirby came from Alabama. But if you're talking about who's going to be the next dominant coach in college football, I don't see anyone else other than Kirby Smart that's going to pick up that mantle. I know people will say Ryan Day, Dabo Swinney is in the conversation, I guess Lincoln Riley, but Kirby is the one right now that I think is built from the same cloth and has our program humming in a way that no one else in America does right now. So I truly believe that he has a shot to be that, that Nick Saban winning multiple national titles over a five to 10 year period. And if he does that, I think he has us positioned, our program to be the next generation's version of Alabama. So I would entertain the argument that he is already the best coach in Georgia history. I would entertain it. I'm not ready to go there quite yet because we're only talking about a seven-year period of time right now. Compare that to, to Dooley's 25. Now, Kirby, outside of year one, so the last six years really, has been flat-out elite, right? Been flat-out elite and has sustained that level of elite play for a longer period of time than Dooley ever did. But still, I need to see... a. a Give me five more years, Kirby. And I, I have full 100% faith that's going to happen. And in five years, if we're still running this podcast, knock on wood, hopefully that's the case, we'll come back and revisit this question and we'll say, okay, now like 
done deal, case closed, Kirby Smart's the greatest coach in Georgia history. He's trending that way. I believe he will end up, when it's all said and done, as the greatest coach in Georgia football history. I just don't know if you can say it quite yet. All right. Our next question comes from Brian. Uh, He says that in the last episode, he knows you're excited about the mailman being a finalist for the Heisman. But what percentage chance do you give him to actually win it? Well, Charlie, I did have my say on this, so I'm going to allow you, I'm going to not allow you, I'm going to give you the floor here, all right? As a start of the podcast, how do you feel about Stetson's chances and just generally him being named a Heisman finalist? I think it's great for him. I think it's great for the program. Um, I don't think the Heisman is what, I mean, you went over the criteria in the last show. Great. But typically you think of the Heisman, it used to be, oh, it's the greatest player on the field. But how how do you, they define that with statistics. Right. But when Can greatness not be measured in other ways than than statistics? That's all I'm saying. Correct. Exactly. And, you know, is he one of the greatest players? No. Is he on the best, one of the best teams in the country? Yes. I think Stetson is very underrated in terms of his actual athletic ability. I, I really believe that. I think that he's got a much better arm than people give him credit for. He's much more athletic than people give no, him credit for. He's, he's short. He's small. Yes, I get that. Although, have you seen Stetson this year? Those arms, those guns, baby. We saw that back before, like in fall camp. No, We've I, I seen know, that all I, I, season. This season, it's, it's a different... He's He's got his body in a different shape right, right now. Right, and he's I'm not saying guy. he's not valuable. He is good. He's. I've always thought, probably more than other people, that he's better than most people give him credit for. However, if you're looking at all of college football, how many of those players are you going to say are the best players on the field? Of those four? So you think all four, the other three are all better than Stetson? Probably. In terms of my NFL profile, but yes, I mean, probably because it's, it's only yeah, size. It's sure, not even. There's injury. not even a running back that's been invited to New York this year. Usually, well, this, is what the, this is what the Heisman Trophy. But that's become. what I'm saying. But that's what I'm and saying it, yeah. that it's 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 evolved into this. Oh, you must be a quarterback and you must be on one of the best teams in the country, which is fine. Great, it's great for the program. I'm happy for him. I don't think he wins it. But I'm excited for him. It's good exposure. Do you think he has any chance? Is there any outside chance Stetson could like pull the shot? I mean, he clearly has at least the top four. four. So he's got a 25% chance? No, I I don't think it's... No, no, no. no. 10% maybe? That's why I'm saying like, honestly, I I wish I could say 10%. I'm thinking probably under 10% here. So, and I don't, I won't go too long on this. I want to give you a chance to get your say on that, Charlie, because I did do a whole episode on this. But yeah, I mean... What percentage chance, if that's the question, I would say less than 10%, and that's probably being pretty generous there. Um, And look, the thing about this award, Charlie, and you're right, you're right, what you were saying, I I feel like this award can basically be about whatever the voters want to make it be about. Like, do you get that feel? It's kind of like the cultural playoff. Like, whatever the the committee wants to make the criteria that season, it can be that criteria. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's one of the frustrating things here. And and that's, that's part of my argument for Stetson. It's like, okay, yes, Typically, they measure greatness with the Heisman Trophy by statistical production, and that's fair. Like, I'm not saying stats don't matter; they do. They are a good way to measure someone's impact on a team. But my argument would be: is is that the only way to measure greatness, or is that just the most convenient way to measure greatness for people who don't watch every game and who don't really always fully grasp what they're watching? That would be my my argument. I think there's a way to look at someone's play on the field and their impact on a team, and and say. That is greatness, even though it might not be quite the level statistically as some of these other teams. Now, I know I'm, I'm, this argument's a losing battle. I'm not going to win that. He's not going to win. 
you know, but you, you have people like, I don't know, Brandon Walker, if you guys are familiar with him from Barstool Sports. So, you know, I've seen him on social media the past couple of days, kind of screaming bloody murder about Stetson even being invited, saying, oh, you know, he's a nice player, but like, just because he's on the on the best team in the country, the number one team, that means he gets invited just because he's a quarterback on the best team. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that argument. I'm sorry. Like, what's the issue with Stetson Bennett being invited? Again, the the issue is too many voters just don't know how to gauge how good a player really is, and they don't know how to determine someone's value outside of numbers. I'm sorry, that, that is one of the major problems. You have like 900-ish people who vote on this. I don't know how many of them I actually trust to truly understand football at a sophisticated enough level to really do anything other than gauge a player's greatness by his numerical production, by his statistical production. And if you're talking about stats, which we know is what drives this thing, what you're seeing with Stetson, I mean, honestly, he actually has better numbers as I laid out on the uh, the last episode. He has better numbers than people really want to give him credit for and that they actually realize if you dig beyond just the, the bare surface there. But what we're doing, if we're saying it's all about stats, is we're punishing Stetson for the style of offense that he plays in. He plays in a style of offense where we're going to run the football, we're going to be balanced, we're going to take shots down the field, we're going to hit some of those shots down the field, we're going to get early leads, and we're just going to sit on those leads and just choke you to death, boa constrictor style, in the second half. That's what we do. That is our MO. That is what we are built to do. That is our comfort zone. That's what our offense, that's what our team's method of operation is. So Stetson, number one, is getting punished by a style of offense. And number two, he's getting punished for how dominant our team is. So if Brandon Walker wants to sit there and say, well, Stetson's only there because his team is great, I would say, you know what, to that, Stetson's numbers would be even better than they are if he didn't play on a team that is as dominant as we are. Because the dude doesn't even hardly play in the fourth quarter. What was Seth Emerson's stat? 321 yards total in fourth quarters this year? So let's say he played on Tennessee's team. Let's say he played on USC where they're in tighter games in some of these games in the fourth quarter. He has to play. He has to go out there and not just play, but in, but actually make plays and not just hand the ball off. Huh, maybe Stetson might actually have numbers that are comparable to C.J. Stroud and maybe a little bit closer to Caleb Williams. Maybe he would. So I would say in some ways, in a lot of ways, we're punishing him, again, A, for style of play offensively, and B, for how dominant our team has been. All I know is when we have needed Stetson Bennett this year, in the biggest games, the dude has shown up. And again, he I think he does freaky things out there with his arm and his legs, guys. I mean, that run against Auburn, that touchdown run, some of the, the angles he's able to get the ball out from, this guy has a much better arm and much more arm talent than I think the average fan wants to give him credit for. I think too many people are stuck in a fixed mindset when it comes to him being like a former walk-on, or again, A, they don't, or B, they don't understand what they're watching, so they just lean on numbers. But I think Stetson is deserving, certainly deserving, of being in New York. Now, is he going to win? No, he's not. Do I think there's an argument to be made for him to win? I do. I do. Again, it all just comes down to, can we measure greatness in some way other than just a statistical production and like a statistical resume? I think the answer is yes, if you are sophisticated enough and actually watch enough football and understand what you're watching. Problem is, when you have 900 plus voters, that's the case for a very, very small percentage of those voters. So that's why I don't have much faith he's going to win. Uh, I won't, if he doesn't win, which he's not going to, I'm not going to be like upset about it because I don't expect him to. And again, I don't think he should be like the front runner or anything like that. I just think there can be an argument made that, you know, Stetson should get more consideration to actually win the award than he's being given right now. All right. Well, our next question comes from King Kirby. He wants to know if you think the second half defense against LSU was due to the fact that we game plan for Jaden Daniels and didn't make the proper adjustments in real time. Yeah, that's um, 
That's a fair way to look at it. I think that certainly is probably part of it. When I've gone, and I've had a chance now to go back and watch the game a couple of times and kind of dive into, especially in the second half defensively, what we were doing from a coverage standpoint, just from a defensive game plan standpoint, what were we doing in the second half compared to the first half? In the first half, you know, they hit some plays down the field in the passing game too, guys. I mean, Jaden Daniels actually making some plays with his arm. He just wasn't making plays with his legs. We did a good job of, of containing him. Also, he was injured. You can't discount that. But, you know, in the first half especially, and really in the second half as well, but especially in the first half, we played a lot of matchup zone, kind of the old pattern match stuff that Kirby used to do like by trade when he was at Alabama. And if you guys aren't familiar with what I mean by that pattern match, matchup zone, it's basically like you're playing, ostensibly you're playing zone coverage, but when a receiver comes into your zone, you play him in man coverage, if that makes sense. So you're not chasing the guy all over the field. You're staying in your zone, but whoever comes in your zone, you're playing them tightly in man coverage. You're not just like dropping to a, to a spot and sitting there. You're looking for who's dropping in your zone and you play them tight in man coverage. And uh, we Kirby used to do that. I mean, that's what they used to do, like exclusively almost Alabama, that old cover three pattern match stuff, three match stuff. We still do it some. We don't do it as much nowadays. We've gone to more like press man stuff from cover one. Really, we do a lot of man under. Uh, we do a lot of uh, two man stuff like that. We have two deep safeties and you've got the man underneath that. But we played a lot of matchup zone. I think a lot of that had to do with our respect for Jane Daniels in the run game now we knew that he might not be fully healthy but you, you can't guarantee that right so you have to be prepared for because he's he was their leading rusher by almost 400 yards coming into that game last weekend so you had to prepare for that and I told you guys on the preview episode I did not like the idea of turning our backs from him and chasing receivers and man coverage because you're opening up running lanes he's gonna what if you watched him all year what Jane Daniels does as soon as he sees man coverage he sees defenders backs turned him he just takes off like he just aborts whatever pass play is and he just takes off because he's he was that dynamic and in the run game so I was concerned about that well that's kind of what we do by trades I don't know I was like I don't know should we do what we do or should we switch it up and and base that off what Jane Daniels can do in his skill set and Kirby in the defensive staff clearly felt like we needed to do a better job of kind of keeping him in front of us and that's where the matchup zone comes in and but here's the big thing really this is all game long but especially in the second half we really did not pressure them much at all. We now this is these are my my numbers, my calculations, and look like it's tough to tell sometimes when you're watching the TV copy. But according to my very rough calculations, we rushed four or fewer over 70% of the time in that game. And we also, in my opinion, I don't have numbers here for you, but just you know, watching it with the naked eye there, we stunted up front far less than we typically do. Again, I think. All of that was designed with the idea in mind that we do not want to create rush lanes for Jaden Daniels. If you're spying Jaden Daniels, right? Well, if, which we did some of, not exclusively, we did some of that. If you're spying him, you can't really blitz that much because you, if you blitz a spy and he gets past that, that blitz, then there's no one there, right? Well, if you have a spy and you're blitzing, which means you're bringing five guys, that six guys right there, they're taking out of coverage. It means you only have five guys in coverage. It makes you much more vulnerable to getting beat over the top and giving up explosive plays in the passing game. So I think it was our, our way to try to defend him and not allow him to gash us with his legs. That's also why we did less stunting. When you stunt, yes, you can create some negative plays, but you also get guys out of your typical rush lanes and you can create some lanes for the quarterback to take off if he's as mobile as Jane Daniels was. So we defended him, 
I don't want to say tentatively, but cautiously. And we were very cognizant of what he could do with his legs. So in that way, we played them very differently than we did Tennessee. That's one of the questions we've gotten over the past couple of days here is like, why were we so successful against Tennessee, but not as successful defending LSU when LSU doesn't throw the ball nearly as well as Tennessee? Well, the answer is we defended them very differently. We brought the pressure on Tennessee all game long, and we did not do that against LSU. So you got to sit back there, him and obviously Nussmeyer later in the game as well, got to sit back there in large part with a clean pocket. Now, we, we would dial some pressure here and there. I mean, Jalen Carter's a beast, and he's always in the backfield. He kind of lives in the backfield when he's in the game. But we just were not pressuring LSU at near the same rate as we were Tennessee. So I think, you know, Jaden Daniels and what he did from his, what he does from a skill set standpoint with his legs, that was a big part of that. And I also wonder, that this isn't just me like conspiracy theory stuff, how much of that was... Kirby and our defensive staff just wanting to challenge the secondary, especially when the game got out of hand. I, you guys know, I, I, I always kind of scoff at the idea that Kirby's trying to make it harder on our team to win a game. But when the game is that far out of hand, when you're up 35-10 at halftime, like maybe there is something to the idea. It's like, okay, we're just going to challenge our secondary. We know what we could potentially be facing, whether it's USC, whether it's Ohio State, whether it's Alabama, whoever it might be. We know we're going to face some really good passing offenses, so maybe we just want to like give our DBs out there a chance to to maybe work on some of this stuff in a way they haven't had a chance to as much this year because we haven't played a ton of dynamic passing games. That's a stretch for me. I don't know how much of stock I put into that, but maybe, maybe there's something to that. But all right, Charlie, I know we've got a bunch more to get to. Do you want to take a quick break here? Absolutely. Let's do this. Do you want to do the my bookie read? Or do you want me to do it? I know well, you're great at the uh, alumni hall reads. Bowl game is coming. Bowl, bowl season. Bowl season, which bowl I do love. Bowl season is coming up, so you're gonna have a lot of opportunities to make bets on games against the spread, money line, prop bets. I love parlays. I love parlays during bowl season because like lines are tough. Sometimes you don't know who's playing, who isn't playing. But I usually have a pretty good feeling. Okay, I think this team's probably going to win. I love me a couple good parlays. All right, there you go. And also basketball season. I know love you love college, college basketball. basketball. Love college basketball. I'm very excited about it. I'm digging into it right now. I know I know you're going to start doing some shows we on got screwed. We got screwed by the refs against Tech. I want everyone to know that. If you didn't see it, we got screwed. Just put it out there. But I know Tech you're going to be doing some shows on Georgia basketball, so you might be able to throw in a few picks for the weekend or each week for basketball that people if might people want to pick want up. It, the and they can do it, that can do at MyBookie where they use promo code UGA in order to help them get some extra cash to bet. Up to $200. They'll match it, guys. Fantastic read. Once again, Charlie, you are like significantly better at this night, but she is not wrong, guys. MyBookie, it's a no-brainer. If you're looking to put a little, a little money on some of these games, have a little holiday fun, go to MyBookie.ag, use the promo code UGA to bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore need it fast most items can ship overnight plus enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns don't miss our special mother's day deals save big on the season's most beautiful trends for a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, our next question is from Ty. And I know you talked about Keely Ringo last a few shows ago. Recap episode, we definitely dug into it. Yeah. All right, so he wants to know if Keely Ringo is a liability. Ty says that he'll make an interception and all of his mistakes are just forgotten. Is he crazy? No, he's certainly not crazy. Not at all. Keely Ringo, as we laid out on the recap episode from the SEC Championship game, did have a very rough second half. Definitely. However, I will say, going back and rewatching a couple times now, while he clearly did not play well in the second half, it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was in the moment when we're all invested and we're all emotional. We're like, what's going on? LSU should not be throwing the ball like this on us. We haven't seen this happen this all year. They're going to throw for 500 on us. These are all the things that we're sitting there watching. We're frustrated. We're angry. Yes, we're winning, but it's like, this is not a good look. But going back and rewatching it, kind of um, detached from the immediacy of the moment there. I don't feel like he played as poorly as I did in the moment. In the moment, I was like, is this the worst performance from a Georgia DB in the history of Georgia football? Obviously, high, that's some hyperbole there. It's a, a much, very much an exaggeration. But one thing you got to certainly be aware of here is they targeted Keeley a lot in this game, a lot more than they targeted anybody else. And even though Keeley did not have his best game or his best half of football, as I said on the recap episode, I, I want to make sure we point out again, it was not only Keeley. I know he's the one we like to pick on because there have been some moments throughout the year where he just hasn't made plays on balls and given up some plays and like tackled receivers when he kind of panics in the moment there when he loses the ball. And they haven't really hurt us to this point because we've just been better than everyone we played. But we've kind of seen those isolated cases and they make you say, huh, like, is he as good as we think he is? So I understand why he was kind of the, 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 target of a lot of that that frustration coming out of that game but I gotta say Malachi Starks true freshman who has been so good for us this year also I think he played more poorly than Keeley did I think he really did not help Keeley out much there uh, they play typically on the same side there are a couple of plays that you know to the naked eye look like it was Keeley's fault and like he's the one giving a big plays I mean I, I remember the play specifically where Malachi Starks, I think it was LSU's second touchdown pass, I want to say. We were playing two-man, so we have two two high safeties. We're playing manned underneath, right? It looked to the naked eye like Keely Ringo was the one that got beat because he he lined up over that guy in man coverage to start the snap. But at that point, when he got that vertical, he was passing him off to Malachi, and Malachi mistimed his jump. You guys probably, I'm sure you remember what I'm talking about. He was, it looked like he was going to pick it off, but he mistimed the jump. He, under, he undercut it a little too much. And he went over the top for a touchdown there. And I remember guys in the stands where I was were screaming at Keely Ringo. And I'm not going to say anything. But I'm saying, like, 
I mean, even then, even with that play, I'm like, well, that's not really on Keeley. That's Malachi. So I, I do understand the frustration aimed at Keeley, but it was not only him. I, and again, in fact, I think that Malachi Starks played worse than he did. I think our linebackers, especially Smile Mon, had a really tough day in coverage. But that's not to completely absolve Keeley. As we've been saying for weeks now, all year, like he he usually is where he needs to be in phase. Like he's not just getting torched. So there's some that's something, right? But he continues to have issues making plays in the ball. I mean, that that is his problem. And the most egregiously bad play by him in this game was I think it, I think it was LSU's last touchdown to Dre Jenkins. But he got completely lost. I mean, he had his eyes in the backfield. He had no idea what was going on. And Jenkins is just standing there wide open in the end zone. And that and Keeley's bilingual after that play was really, really bad. Like you could tell he was clearly frustrated and down on himself. But really, his problem has been getting his head around and making the making plays on the ball when he's in man coverage. Like I, at this point, I, other than just continuing to rep it, I don't know what we can do because the guy's in phase. He's where, most of the time where he needs to be in ready in a position to make a play on the ball. He just it's a it's an awareness thing. It really is like he he loses track of the ball. He doesn't make a play on the ball, or then he panics and just like tackles guys sometimes and gets some really really bad pi calls against him. So no, he didn't play well. Um, I understand that. But I, I I still think Keeley is a really good player. I think he's probably the back half of the season. I think he might have dropped himself out of the first round of the NFL draft. That conversation now with a great playoff that could that we we could revisit that conversation. And I'm not an NFL draft guy, but I just I don't know if he's playing at a first round level right now. Some of the things that you're seeing, especially how they're targeting him right now. So no, he's not playing particularly well. But I also think Keeley does a lot of things really really well for us. He's just got to learn to make plays. He's just, in the moment, he's just got to have the awareness, get his head around, make a play. And he's done it before. Like the, the interception against Tennessee was a fantastic example of that. I don't know if he could play that ball any better. So we've seen it. We've seen the guy do it. He's just got to do it with more consistency at this point. Okay, our next question comes from Mr. Tomato Head. Sorry, almost said potato. I, I see you about to laugh. I know. Okay. Um, he would like to know how you would rate Amarius Mims and his play when he after he came in for Warren McClendon. Oh yeah, you guys know I'm a big fan of Amarius Mims. I, I think him and Broderick Jones are the two tackles on our roster that are first round draft picks. Warren McClendon is a very good player and. I'm very glad that he is on our team. He's done a fantastic job for us, been a really good leader, a quiet leader for for years now. But he's not a first round player. Uh, Mims is now. Mims is still young. He's still learning all those things. He's not quite as polished as McClendon. All that is true. But when Mims came in in the first half of that game, I thought he played very well. He does not always pick up stunts as well as McClendon does, and that's to be expected when you're really getting like this year's his first real playing time and McClendon's been essentially a three-year starter for us going back to the COVID year in 2020 so that that's to be expected I'm not going to kill him for that he's a young guy learning all those things and who to block and what happens when this guy blitzes when this guy stunts all that kind of stuff but from an athletic standpoint a physical standpoint I mean it's night and day there is absolutely zero comparison there he bends, he moves significantly better than McClendon does. He gets to the second level better because he's more athletic. He's more flexible, so he can actually block moving targets better than Warren McClendon can at the second level, specifically linebackers. So I thought he played very well in that game. I I hope that Warren's healthy because, I mean, Warren has been a very key member of our team for a couple of years now, and it's great to have that kind of depth. But if McClendon can't go against Ohio State, I still feel very comfortable and confident with the Marius Mims. This guy, again, I believe in... After next year, he'll be back one more year, 
and he's going to go to the NFL just like Roger Jones is. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. But I thought he played very well in, uh, in relief of War McClendon and hopefully get them both back. But Mims, I, am, I do have a lot of confidence in him right now. All right, next up, Jay Swift wants to know your thoughts or excitement level on Samuel M. Pimba's commitment. Did I say that right? I, You know, honestly, I don't know. I've never heard anyone actually pronounce it. I've read it a lot. I've never heard anyone actually pronounce it. I've always said M. Pimba. And that's essentially what you said. I just say a little faster. Oh, I was thinking it was a or is it one of those mark, that, but it's not that sorry. or is it like an, a silent m and just pimba pimba i don't know i don't know we'll find out as soon as let I, us know yeah i mean when i hear somebody actually say his name then i'll know I just, i've read his name a million times just haven't actually heard someone say his name but it's a great question yeah so if you guys missed it five star commitment from samuel and pimba or samuel pimba from img academy and he is, uh, man, he is a physical freak. Like he's one of those dudes that is just jacked up. I mean, he's like get off the bus kind of jacked up. Like this is the first guy off the bus kind of thing. I am really excited for his long-term potential. I mean, he is an athletic freak right now, guys. 6'4", 240. I just watched a couple of videos of him squatting 695 pounds twice. Although I will say it wasn't a full squat. It wouldn't count in like uh, a weightlifting competition, but still like, Having 695 pounds on your back and getting close-ish to a real squat, that's pretty impressive for a guy who's 17 years old. Um, he's explosive, he's athletic, all of those things. But here's the thing with Mpimba. Even though he is a five-star prospect, he's a five-star physical talent is what I would say. He's not a five-star player right now. He's very unpolished as a pass rusher. So in terms of like production on the field and actually playing the game of football, I do not think he's a five-star guy right now. But like I said, he's a five-star block of clay, if that makes sense. Like this guy is chiseled out of stone. He's athletic beyond belief. And his upside is absolutely tremendous. He's just not especially close to reaching that upside right now. And it's not really his fault. He he was, you know, for a while in his early in his high school career, even as recently as like last year, he's like, okay, I'm gonna play like tight end, that kind of thing. Now he's decided that he's going to play full-time as a pass rusher. And this year is like his first like full year where he's like dedicated himself fully 100% to rushing the passer and being an edge player. So naturally, he's not a very polished player. He's still very, very new to it. So he's got a lot to learn and a lot of room to grow and develop from that point. I would not call him a project, but he certainly needs development. And that's okay. Um, actually, it, he didn't even start for IMG this year. The first couple games, he, I think he did start, but there's another guy named Gabe Harris who's actually also committed to us who's not a five-star prospect. He's a high four-star. I think he's a top 150. I think he's ranked number 140, I think, last time I looked, who's not as big and not it doesn't quite have the physical profile of, of Mpimba, but, I mean, at 6'2", 225, I think Harris is awesome. I mean, he, I think he's explosive. I think he's athletic. I think he's long, rangy. He's much more polished and developed this stage than Mpimba is. So if I, if I was trying to predict between those two, like, who is going to make more of an impact next year in their first year on campus, right now I would go hands down Gabe Harris because he is just closer to that right now. I mean, this guy does a fantastic job of using his hands, knocking away defender uh, blockers' hands. Um, does a great job bending on the edge. Has a, a very nice repertoire of pass rush moves. He doesn't just have a bull rush or a speed rush. He's got an inside move. Um, he gets he can get the uh, the offensive lineman moving inside and then spin back outside and has enough quicks and athleticism to get to the quarterback. I am very high on Gabe Harris. So if you want, if you want to say Samuel Pimba is overrated right now, which 
again, in terms of like production on the field, I would say, yes, he is. I would also say that Gabe Harris is underrated. Because this guy, I think, right this year, what I've seen from him, I, I watched his senior tape a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't know how that senior tape is not five-star stuff. Like That guy can rush the passer. He's athletic. Um, he's he's kind of freaky in his own race, just not quite as big and, and quite as freaky as in Pimba. But it's great that we have both of them. That's the cool thing. We have both these guys. But yes, I am very excited about getting in Pimba's commitment because I do think give him a year or two of development and he is going to be um, a nightmare. And I love our, our staff. I think we have a great developmental program. Everyone wants to just say that we have we just recruit all these great players. And we do, but we also do a fantastic job of developing them. He will need some development, but once that happens, if he buys in, then he is going to eventually be a, a nightmare to deal with off the edge. And we need it, guys. Trust me. Like we need pass rushers off the edge in a bad, bad, bad way. Okay. We have a few more questions. Jason says he saw Tony Grimes and Justin Flo in the portal along with another thousand players. So many guys. Um, it's out of control. Any chances we get Tony Grimes or Justin Flo? Um... Probably not with either one of them. I honestly don't think we're going to go after either one of them. I think there's probably more of a shot with Tony Grimes. If you remember back to when he when he made his decision to commit to North Carolina, it was down to Georgia and North Carolina. He reclassified. He graduated early, and we didn't have a spot for him in that class. North Carolina did. Therefore, he went to North Carolina. I think if he had not reclassified, he probably would have come to Georgia. We were right there in the ticket things. But you know the way it played out, he went to North Carolina. Um, but that obviously turned out to not be the best decision for him, which, huh, go figure, didn't see that one coming. But, you know, you live, you learn, you make mistakes, we all do it. But I would say, like, even though we have a better shot with him, because we do have that that background, we became very, very close to actually landing him when he first committed, with how we've been recruiting that position of late, I kind of think that ship has sailed. I just don't know, like, do we have a need for him right now? I know Keeley is going to be gone after this year. But we have a ton of guys, whether it's Singletary, whether it's Humphrey, whether it's Everett. We have a ton of guys that we've recruited over the past couple of years and guys on the commitment list right now. Uh, A.J. Harris, for example. Like all these guys, like we have a bunch of dudes that we've recruited in the secondary that are just waiting their turn. I don't think there's really that much of a need for Tony Grimes unless you think he's like a plug-and-play, can't-miss kind of cornerback. Maybe, but I just I don't think there's that need. I think we feel really, really confident with Kamari Laster and Dalen Everett going into next year. So I, I just don't really see it. It's not impossible. I think there's a better chance with him. With Flo, I don't see it at all. Um, we were we recruited him. We we had more of a chance to get Noah Sewell than we did Justin Flo when they both came out in that same year. They obviously they both went to Oregon. But the reality, guys, with Justin Flo, I don't want Justin Flo. I, I, I know he's a big name because he was a former five-star, a big-time guy coming out of high school. And, you know, so he has he had that cachet already. But if you watch the guy play, I mean, why would we want him? We have recruited far better players. We have far better inside linebackers sitting on, on our bench right now. Not to mention the three studs that we have committed right now who are all significantly better than Justin Flo. I know they haven't played a down in college football, but in my opinion, significantly better. I mean, Flo is super fast. In a straight line, very fast. He has that. And he, he'll he he'll bring the wood. He'll hit you. But he is so stiff. That's why he could hardly play for Oregon at times this year. He did not start for Oregon this year, guys. He did not start for Oregon. Yes, they have Noah Sewell, but he did not start next to Noah Sewell. He played some. He was like their third or fourth backer, depending on the game and, and the game plan the opponent. 
Why would we want that guy? He couldn't start at Oregon, so he's going to come here. I I don't want him. I don't want him. We have better players. It's as simple as that. And also, when you watch him play, he's not a very intelligent football player. I'm not calling the guy dumb, but he does not play smart football. He has a lot of personal fouls, a lot of late hits, a lot of just stupid, stupid things. He doesn't he doesn't really understand what they're trying to do to him in the passing game at all. No, I do not want Justin Flo, and I don't think there's any chance that we're even going to remotely go after him. Just my opinion on that one. Okay, next question. Ben wants to know your thoughts on the running game in the playoff. He states that the guards look much improved. What's your take? I mean, you, you've seen it, Charlie. Our running game has been dynamite over the past month or so, right? Yep. It's been significantly better. In fact, I went back and looked up some of these numbers. So, you guys remember the Missouri game? Charlie, you remember the Missouri game, right? Oh, yes. The one that we almost lost, that yep. almost cost us everything, right? Yep. You remember how many difficulties we had running the football in that game? So many. We could not, especially the first half. We could not get it done. The conversation after that game was, oh my God, the offensive line, what is happening? Is there any chance that we can actually fix this? Daisy Searles, fire the guy. Well, yeah, that was a bad look in the first half of that game. I'm not going to, to deny that. It certainly was. But since that game, guys, that was week five. Since that game, the first week of October, we have averaged 225 yards rushing game and 5.6 yards per carry compared to only 178 yards per game through the first five games, ending with that Missouri almost disaster. And a big part of that is, yes, we are more committed to it. What we've done is we have figured out what our offensive line does well and also by extension, what we do well as an offense. And I told you guys early in the season, one of my concerns watching our rushing attack early on the first month or so of the season was our inability to get up to the second level. We were doing a very poor job of getting the second level, getting off combo blocks and getting up to the second level. And when we got to the second level, we were not doing a good job of actually blocking anyone at the second level. Those moving targets, which I, I admit is more difficult than blocking at one of those big fat demons of linemen that doesn't really move well. It's much tougher to to block a moving target that's 225 pounds and athletic, well, we were doing a very poor job of that. We've done a much better job of that. We've done a better job of sticking on blocks. I think we're doing a much better job of communicating up front. They're working in unison far better than they were early in the year. So all of that together has combined to create a situation for us where we are a play-action football team. And what does that mean? That means we want to run the football, establish a run, make you respect it, and then hit play-action shots over the top to absolutely gut you. That's what we've been for three, four years running now, maybe even longer than that, really since Kirby's been here. We kind of got away from that early this season. It was kind of like we wanted to try to be something else with some of the weapons that we have. But when A.D. Mitchell goes down, Lad's been banged up, all that stuff. We kind of went back to saying, okay, like this is this is what Georgia football is. We can still be explosive. We can still score a lot of points. That's the end of the game is scoring points, and we can still score points at as high of a rate as just about anybody in the country doing this. And we figured that out. We've committed to it. The line's improved. All those young guys who haven't played as much, they've gotten better. They've gotten more comfortable and confident. So all that's combined to create a situation where we are just running the football extraordinarily well going to the playoff. And I do think that's going to be a key for us, especially against Ohio State, keeping that offense off the field and just trying to do to them what Michigan was able to do and just out-physical them, challenge their manhood up front. All right, well, before we move on, let's take a break and talk about Alumni Hall. We all know Georgia is now 13-0, and perfect season so far. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. You know the drill. SEC champs. You can find... Uh, brand new gear at Alumni Hall. All your Georgia needs can be met. They have hoodies, long sleeve t-shirts, t-shirts, hats, anything you can imagine for an SEC championship to remember over It's actually LSU. some pretty good looking stuff, actually. Like, sometimes you get some of these like championship or bowl game gear and it's like, 
But um, never at Alumni Hall. They always have not, quality. Alumni always does. But like sometimes Nike releases stuff and you're like, huh, I yeah. don't know. But Alumni Hall has Nike stuff. They got all, any kind of brand that's released any kind of SEC Championship stuff, they've got it. I love a long sleeve t-shirt. I need to go get one you were, soon. Did you get this one from Alumni Hall that you're wearing right now? I did. Of course you did. I did. Why would you not? It's my favorite place to shop. It's it's the it's the go-to place for any bulldog, guys. So check out Alumni Hall in store off of... Yep, Spirit Shopping Center. Yep, that place by... The Iconi Connector. That place. Or go online... Do you live in Athens, Charlie? I do. I'm just... You know... It's late. I get it. It's the end of the week. The words are just not coming. coming. fast. I got you. Yeah, so check them out online if you don't live in Athens for all of your shopping needs. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Charlie. Well, we got a few more questions to get to. What do you got for me? All right. Tom wants to know can you compare and contrast Tennessee and Ohio State? Is this one going to take 15 minutes? Oh, Charlie, this is a great question. Who is this from? Tom. Tom. Oh yeah, this was from Tom. Tom, awesome stuff, Tom. Yes, Charlie, I will. Um, I'll do you a solid, and I will use your economy of language that you always encourage me to use. I know sometimes, most of the time, I fail at that. But today, Charlie, I'm gonna do it for you. Okay, similarities and differences. Compare contrast. All right, here is how I think that Tennessee and Ohio State are similar. First off, I, I they're both really good passing offense. They're both top 15 nationally in passing offense. They both, with that passing offense, generate explosive pass plays. In fact, Tennessee is number one nationally still in plays of 30 or more, and passing plays of 30 or more yards. I think they have 38 passing plays at the top of my head of 30 or more passing yards on the year. Ohio State is fifth, so they're top five. They're at, right at 30 passing plays of 30 or more yards. So not only do they throw the ball a lot, they're very explosive, both those teams, when they do throw the football. But saying that, both teams actually run the ball better than you think they do. With those kind of numbers, with, with their pass game, you think, oh, they don't run the ball that well. No, not the case at all. Tennessee's a top 20 rush offense. I told you guys that coming to that game. That's the key to what they do offensively. You stop their run. You stop everything for them. Ohio State's not quite as proficient running the football. They've had some injuries at the running back position. Travion Henderson's been out for a while. Doesn't, does not look like he's going to play against us. Uh, but they're still top 30 nationally in rushing offense. And then defensively, they both stop the run very well. They're both top 25 rush defenses. So there's certainly some similarities between those two teams, but there are some pretty clear differences as well. The first one that comes to mind for me is the quarterback position. They both have very good quarterbacks. Obviously, Hayden Hooker did not get invited to New York as a Heisman finalist, and Tennessee fans have, um, I mean, they've spontaneously combusted on us here. I don't know if they're all still of this earth at this point, but CJ Stroud is a Heisman finalist, 
but their mobility is different, right? Hendon Hooker is a guy who can absolutely pull the ball down and he will he will hurt you with his legs. He's dangerous picking up first downs when you don't pay attention to him. That's not C.J. Stroud's game. He moves well in the pocket. He's not a statue, but he does not take off running the ball. He is a pass, 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 pass first, pass second, pass third quarterback. So that's different. Um, and I did mention one of the similarities, they generate explosive pass plays. But one thing that stands out to me, and I'm, I'm early in my studying of Ohio State. I've watched them several times this year, but I'm obviously trying to dig in deeper to prepare for the Peach Bowl. I'm early in that process. But one thing I've noticed so far, trying to compare them to Tennessee, is yes, they're both explosive in the pass game, but they're very different in how they go about generating those explosive pass plays. Tennessee is more of a vertical shot. Like they're just throwing like haymakers down the field, right? They're just taking taking shots, running nine routes, that kind of thing, running skinny posts down the field. And I'm not saying that Ohio State does not do that. They will, but what I've seen so far from this team, a lot of their explosive plays in the past game come from just getting the ball in space to very speedy playmakers. They have some really fantastic route runners and Marvin Harrison and Emeka Abuka. And those guys create a lot of separation, and they get the ball to them in space, and they are dangerous when they get the ball in their hands. So that's a little bit different how they go about generating those pass plays. And then the pass defense is also a major difference here. I mean, Tennessee guys, I told you coming to the our game against them a couple a month or so ago, they are great against the run defensively, but they sell out against the run, and they are terrible in the back end. They are 127th nationally in pass defense. Ohio State, on the other hand, top 15. Ohio State is a much better team, guys than Tennessee is. Those are just the facts. But there certainly are some similarities, but there's some key differences in terms of the mobility of the quarterback, how they create those big plays in the pass game, and also how well they defend the pass. Okay, two questions left. Georgia CFB wants to know how well we match up with Ohio State's wide receivers. We know, uh, what's his name, is not playing. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Yes, is not playing. So Might just be opting out, might still be injured. We don't know. All we know is he's not playing. Right. So what about the other Ohio State receivers? Tell us more. Yeah, there's there's three other guys. This is a very nice segue from the last question. I like your organization here, Charlie. Three guys, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, and Julian Fleming. You might remember Julian Fleming. We were we were certainly heavily recruiting him. I and mean, we were in the heavily in that conversation as well. Obviously he ends up going to Ohio State, which you know that's a lot of receivers go to Ohio State because they throw the ball a lot, right? You can put up a lot of numbers there. They have three dudes there. But there's a big gap between Harrison, Agbuka, and then Julian Fleming. Harrison and Agbuka both have over 1,000 yards receiving. I think I think Fleming's like at 400-ish, like 450, something like that. So he's certainly a nice third option, a good compliment, but he is not the level of the other two. He's also a bigger, more physical guy. Um, Harrison's like 6'3". Agbuka's like 6'1", about 200 pounds. They are both extremely, extremely good route runners. Um, and that is... Um, that is something that does concern me to a, to a degree, especially with Keely Ringo, because as, as athletic as Keely is and as talented as he is, and he's very talented despite what happened in the SEC Championship game, there's some stiffness in his hips. And those receivers are really good route runners. That's how they create separation. And with some of the stiffness I see in Keely sometimes, that does concern me to a degree coming into this game. But all in all, I, I think you're going to be fine. Um, it was not a good show against LSU. I'm not going to make any excuses there. It was not. But I would also say that was the anomaly on the year. I mean, we did a fantastic job defending Tennessee's passing offense and their dynamic. We did a great job. It's a very different passing offense, but we still did a great job of defending what Mississippi State was trying to do. And I know we won't focus our attention on Keely Ringo, but like 
Kamari Laster's out there too, guys. And while Keeley has struggled some at times the back half of the season, Kamari Laster has just gotten better and better and better to the point now that people are just really not even trying to throw at him. They threw He was targeted twice against LSU. I think he gave it one catch in that game. Um, and Malachi Starks, yes, also had a very poor game against LSU, but that's also the anomaly for him. He's been very good all year long for us. And I think especially after how that game went down, he's going to come out with something to prove in this game. I think the key against their receivers and their pass game in general will be, can we get pressure on them like we did against Tennessee? We, like I told you early in the episode, we didn't really try to pressure LSU all that much because of our game plan to, to defend Jaden Daniels, in my opinion. You know, we, we only rushed four or less 70% of the time. So that uh, I think that will change against Ohio State, especially when you have a quarterback that is not as mobile. Again, not a statue, but certainly a guy that, that's vulnerable to a, a pass rush if you can get one in his face. So I think that'll be very important. Um, I know coming right off the game against LSU when they threw for 5 million yards on us, that you have to be somewhat concerned there. But again, I go back and say that was the anomaly. I think our guys will attack practice, bowl practice with a with a ferocity that maybe they haven't to this point in the year. You know, it's not they haven't practiced hard, but when you have a game like that, it's going to get your attention. And I fully expect our guys to come out and answer the bell the right way like they have pretty much all year long. All right. I think we only have one question left, right? We have this question. We do have one that was sent in from the email that I that we did not include here, so I might jump on that one real quick, but this is the last one we, I guess we have written down. Do you want to do the question I have or the question? Do this one. Just do this okay. one first. Yeah. So you just talked about Ohio State's wide receivers, so now Jake the Rake wants to know if Ohio State gets all of their running backs healthy, how do we handle their running game? Well, I think that we're going to handle their running game the same way that we handle everybody's running game. Uh, first off, I don't think Trayvon Henderson is going to be healthy enough to play in this game. He came out and said that he's got he's had broken bones, like plural bones, and torn tendons in his foot. And even if he's able to play, like clear to play, is that guy going to be 100%? I don't see any way on earth that's going to be the case. I don't expect him to play, and he is their true game changer back there for them at running back. So that certainly um, that, that, that hurts for them. That's been the case for the past couple of weeks for them. That's nothing new. Mayan Williams from everything I'm hearing, should be good to go. And he's a very good back in his own right. He's a different kind of back. He's not as much of a threat in the passing game. He's not as dynamic of an athlete as Travion Henderson is, but still a very tough guy to handle. But I think we're going to handle it like we do every other rushing attack we face. We're going to try to play with even numbers, and we're going to try to control it with dominant play by our front seven or front six, depending on what package we're in, probably our front six when you're playing Ohio State. And we have been able to do that to every single team that we have played this year and we have we have played some teams that run the ball extraordinarily well let's go back to florida right florida with a dual threat quarterback came into that game leading the country in yards per rush and we held them to what a little over two yards per rush in that game they were like 7.4 yards per rush coming in that game we held them like to 2.3 2.4 something like that we have played really. You can you can you can say that we haven't played good passing attacks, and that's fine. I think we played some good on the Oregon. I know it was week one for them. They throw the ball extraordinarily well. Um, obviously, Tennessee throws the ball very well. I think Mississippi State throws the ball well, though it's a very different kind of passing attack. But we've played some teams that can run the football. Auburn can run the football pretty well, especially with Robbie Asher back there. And we've handled each and every one of those teams. I know Ohio State stresses you differently because they can also throw the ball, but. I'm confident in our ability to stop the run. I'm if I'm concerned about anything with the Ohio State offense, and, I'm, and I do have some concerns. It's certainly the pass game and those elite receivers that they have. All right, our last question is certainly interesting. You probably have heard that JT Daniels is into the portal again. Once again, JT. poor guy. So Paul would like to know if you're Kirby Smart, do you try to go get JT Daniels out of the portal? Would you, Charlie? Would you go get him? 
I would not. I think we've been there and we've done that. I, would it be a nice story? Sure. Look, I, I absolutely root for JT Daniels. I did. I was rooting hard for him like week one when they were playing Pitt. Like, I think JT was a really, really good teammate here during his time in Athens. I mean, the way he handled uh, his injury and then not getting the job back, getting Wally Pitt by Stetson, I thought it was extraordinarily classy. Uh, and I thought he was a very, very, very good teammate. So, I'm rooting for him. I hate that he lost this job at, at West Virginia late in the season. I hope he lands on his feet. I mean, in retrospect, I mean, I know he went to West Virginia to get reunited with Graham Harrell, but in retrospect, don't you think he kind of wish he went, he went to Oregon State with what they had? They had a really nice season, and their quarterback play was average. I mean, that's being very generous, calling their quarterback play average. And JT might not be as dynamic as we all hoped he could be, but I think he better than anything they had last year. So I don't know where he's going to go. Uh, I just wish the best for him. But no, uh, I think we've been there. We've done that. We have three really good options right now in our quarterback room with Carson Beck, Gunnar Stockton, and Brock Vandegrift. I'm very excited to see how that battle plays out. I would not be opposed to us going out and bringing in a an experienced transfer option from the, at the quarterback position. I just think that there are better options out there than JT Daniels. My thing with JT, guys, I watched West Virginia like probably more than I had any business watching them this year. Probably a lot of that had to do with the fact that JT was playing for them. And also, I just love college football. They play quite a few games on Thursdays. And I, there's not many games on, on Thursday. But JT, guys, cannot move. He cannot move. That's why he lost that job. When there's any kind of pressure in the backfield, like he would literally just fall down. Like He's like, oh, I see you coming. I'm not going to try to escape. I'm just going to fall down. You cannot win. I, I, am, I have become convinced that you have got to have, like if, if your quarterback is not like Dan Marino-S talent level and, and where, to where he can't really move, but he can just sling the ball around and is that productive, and those guys are very, very rare, right? You have got to have a quarterback that can move, that can run the football, that can pick up first downs, that can escape the pocket, can extend plays. And JT Daniels simply cannot do that. He just can't. He's got good arm talent. He understands what defense is trying to do. He's a very, very cerebral quarterback. There's a lot of great things about him, but in terms of coming back to play for the University of Georgia, I just, I mean, I love him. I'm rooting for him. I I, I don't want that. There's other guys that I would go, I mean, heck, I would take Devin Leary ahead of JT Daniels right now. And I don't think, I don't know if we'll actually go get one. I think we're comfortable and confident in the guys that we have. We'll talk about that next week, but JT Daniels is certainly not on my radar. But uh, all right, guys, that's all we've got for you, Charlie. Any parting words before we get out of here? Go dogs. Have a great weekend. Let's go. So you, you're ready to get out of here and start your weekend. I can see it right now. You're like heading out the door, putting your coat on. It's that time of year. It is that time of year. But all right, guys, we definitely appreciate you. Sorry we pushed this episode back a couple of days, but with the Stetson News, we wanted to make sure to cover that in a timely fashion. So thank you for your patience. Always appreciate that. We will be back next week, guys. I know uh, we don't have a game to preview, but... That does not mean that we do not have a lot of things to discuss. We're going to talk about the transfer portal, who we might target, the positions that we might want to take a look at. We might might even talk a little Georgia basketball. I don't know. Don't hold me to that. Let me know, guys. If you want to hear some Georgia basketball talk right now, please let me know because I love Georgia basketball and I would love, love to talk some basketball on this podcast right now. I know usually we save that for after the football season, but I'd say why not now? But just let me know. I want to make sure I'm putting stuff out there that you guys are into. And we're going to have part one of our bowl picks, guys. Don't look now. Bowl season starts next week, so it's right around the corner. Charlie will be back with me to do that next week. But thank you guys for being here. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.